The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading for today is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. I'll give you a minute to flip there. So Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 7. Uh, It has taken us roughly about eight months and 29 sermons, but here we are. We have reached the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and throughout this sermon of eschatological wisdom literature, you remember that's what it is, and throughout it, Jesus has been showing us the truly wise way to live. That's what wisdom literature does. Wisdom literature is constantly setting before us that there are two ways to live, wisely and foolishly, and calling us to the wise way. And Jesus has been setting before us the wise way, the truly wise way to live in light of the end. In light of the eschaton, that's what eschatological literature does. And here's the deal. This way of life that Jesus has been showing to us, it may not look wise now. Especially in the eyes of the the world, it actually looks pretty foolish we've seen. And that's because we've seen things like it is a, a life where you are called to live as salt and light in the world, even when the world rejects you. It's a life where even when the world rejects you, you are called to to forgive and to pray for your enemies. It's a life where we are called to cling to Christ no matter what it costs. Christ is to be our treasure, even if that means we lose every single other thing that this world would claim to be a treasure. This is a life of wholehearted devotion to Christ the King. It is life in his kingdom. Which Jesus, if you remember at the very beginning of this sermon, Jesus called this life the truly joyful life. You remember that? He starts out with the Beatitudes, blessed be, that's makarios, which more deeply means truly joyful. Truly joyful are those who, no matter what they lose, they cling to to me. Jesus basically said, even if it doesn't look like it right now, this way of life that I'm calling to you to, I promise you that in the end, it will be revealed as the truly wise life. And here's the deal. Now that we have reached the end of Jesus' sermon, we've got to decide, do we believe him? Do we believe that what he has laid out, a life of clinging to him, no matter the cost, that that is truly the wise life? Do we believe him enough to, to stake our lives on it? Do we believe him enough to make him the very foundation upon which we build our lives? That's the question that Christ himself lovingly confronts us with right here at the sermon's conclusion. And he does it by giving us one last image, an image of two foundations. Let's see it and be confronted by it together. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then 
The word then right there in your ESV, it's translating the Greek word un. Then is not a great translation. Un is a very strong connecting word. It means therefore. So to read it to you a little bit more literally, therefore, everyone, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So if you recall over the past several weeks, we've seen that the Sermon on the Mount concludes, it ends by giving us four pairs of things that we've got to choose between. This is what wisdom literature does, right? It calls us to one of two ways of life, and the wise way or the foolish way. It lays out the force of those two ways. It calls us to the wise way. So this is how the sermon ends. Four pairs of two things we must choose between. First, we were shown two ways in life that we can go, and we must choose one. Second, we were shown two trees representing two kinds of teachers, and we will follow one. Third, just last week, we were shown two kinds of confessions, and we will make one. Therefore, like right here, verse 24, is summing all that up. In light of all that that we have covered, therefore, Jesus gives us a fourth and final pair to show us how, how to take the narrow road, how to choose the good teacher, how to make a true confession. How? How are we supposed to do all of that? Jesus says, be like a wise builder who builds his house on a wise foundation, a foundation of solid rock. I want to ask, well, Jesus, what makes that a wise decision? Especially if we're talking about in first century Israel, in Israel, to build one's house on rock is rather challenging and actually looks like a lot of work doesn't necessarily look that wise to me. You see, in Israel, especially northern Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, which is where Jesus is when he gives this sermon, around the Sea of Galilee, the, the surface of the ground was rather sandy. And so if you wanted to reach rock, you had to dig down. There's no tractors. There's no backhoes. This is done by hand tools and blood, sweat, and good old-fashioned elbow grease. Like, it doesn't necessarily look wise. It looks like a lot of work. Why not just build your house directly on the surface of sand? That'll save time. It'll save money. It'll allow you to move on quickly and focus on other things in your life. There are lots of reasons that that could look wise. But here's the deal, Shades. Even children know that that's not a wise thing to do. Because even our children still today tell stories about how this is foolish. They tell stories about how this is foolish because they tell stories where they know that the big bad wolf is on his way. Does Jesus' story right here not remind you of the story of the three little pigs? Like you got your first two little pigs who build their homes out of straw and sticks And they do it rather quickly, and they're able to move on to play and to relax and actually mock the third little pig, their other brother, because he looks like a fool. Out there working away, he's sweating all day as he builds his house very slowly, brick after stinking brick. But what we know and what kids know about that story is that who looks wise and who looks foolish in the beginning gets flipped on its head. And it gets flipped on its head 
when the big bad wolf comes, huffing and puffing and blowing down houses made of straw and sticks. But he can't even shake the one that's made out of brick. You didn't know that the three little pigs was eschatological wisdom literature, did you? And that's what it is. It aims to reveal what is truly wise in light of how things will end. Jesus is doing the same thing. And in verse 25, our big bad wolf shows up. Look at it with me. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house. But it did not fall because, because it had been founded on the rock. What reveals the wisdom of the one who builds his house on a rock foundation? The big bad wolf, or in other words, the storm that comes huffing and puffing and trying to blow his house in. To this day, storms like the one described here are common in Israel. Flash flooding is very common, and it is brutal and brutally fast. Just go to YouTube this afternoon. Don't do it right now. Go this afternoon. And just type in Israel flash flooding. And you can just go through video after video after video. I don't know if any of you have ever been caught in a flash flood. I have once. Um, it was in India in 2010. We were there uh, on a mission trip very wisely in the midst of monsoon season. Um, and we were leaving our missionary's house and driving down a dirt road. And I very remember, road is, very much remember, the, the, the road is bone dry. And there's like 100 yards between us and a stop sign when the bottom falls out. I mean, it just just begins pouring. And by the time we drive that 100 yards and get to the stop sign, it's gotten so bad, we're debating turning around. And my friend, Joel, in the back seat, over the course of the next 45 seconds, sounds like this. Uh, Y'all, I don't know that we're going to be able to turn around. Uh, It's getting high. I I think I'm I'm getting out. And he opens his door, and we are all waist-deep in water immediately. We had to abandon the car. Clearly, we were fine. I'm here today and whole. Uh, The car did suffer damage, but ultimately it was okay. Um, But it was insane in a moment. The only kind of house that would survive such flooding, flash flooding like that, the only thing that would keep a house from being swept away is a firm foundation. And so we see right here, no matter how foolish the hard work might have looked in the moment, when the storm finally comes, it reveals the wisdom of the builder who dug down to the rock. Just like the wisdom of that third little pig who built his house out of bricks. But Jesus' story right here is actually greater than our modern fairy tale of the three little pigs. It's greater because Jesus' story right here doesn't just give us a general wisdom principle. That's what three little pigs does. But this doesn't just give us a general wisdom principle. It reveals specifics of wisdom. He, He is telling us through this story, he tells us what the rock foundation is and how, how to build on it. He is telling us, not generally, but explicitly, how to be wise. Look at it again, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus tells us, you want to know what wisdom looks like? Wisdom hears and heeds. 
This is the first of four things that we need to see through this final image that Jesus uses to confront us. He's showing us through this image explicitly how, how to be wise instead of foolish. This is the first thing he shows us. You want to know what wisdom looks like? How to be wise? Wisdom hears and heeds. It hears and heeds what? Well, he told us explicitly. He said, these words of mine. In other words, all the words that he's just spoken through the Sermon on the Mount, all the words that that he has been claiming point us to the truly wise, truly joyful life. No matter what it may look like right now, Jesus says wisdom not only hears those words, it does, just like we've heard these words, but wisdom not only hears those words, it heeds them. It does them. It, It lives in line with them. Why? Because they come from him. Look at it again. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine. You can't see it in English, but that's actually where the emphasis falls in Greek. These words of mine. The wise one is the one who lives not just by some general teacher's words of wisdom, no, but who lives by the words of Christ. The wise one is the one who builds their life on Christ. He is the foundation of rock. We sing this, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. This is actually the second thing we need to see. Number two, wisdom hears and heeds because it sees and believes. Wisdom hears and heeds because, precisely because it sees and believes. It see, in other words, it sees who Jesus is claiming to be. God in the flesh. Throughout this entire sermon, he has been making a claim to be the king of the kingdom. Wisdom sees that, but it doesn't just see that. It embraces that. It believes that. It trusts in him. That's why wisdom hears and heeds the words, because it sees and believes in the one who is saying them. It sees and believes that Jesus is who he claims to be, Lord God Almighty. I can show you right here that he's making that claim. Just look back up to verse 21. Verse 21, where we see Jesus, we went went through this passage last week, and in verse 21, we see Jesus own the title Lord. But he doesn't just own that title, no. He does something else. Notice something with me. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he's owning that title. That should be enough for us to see who he claims to be, but that's not all he does. And everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. Who's getting into the kingdom? The one who does the will of who? Who did Jesus say? This is the audience participation portion of our program. The Father. The one who does the will of the Father. In other words, the one who does the will of God. Again at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Do you see what Jesus just did? He just equated doing his words with doing the will of God. Do you see clearly who he is claiming to be? The Lord God Almighty 
in the flesh. But do you not just see that? Do you believe it? Which doesn't just mean mentally affirm that it's true. Satan does that. It means embrace that, bank on it, build my life on it. Do you see and believe? You can know if you do, because if you do, it means you will hear and heed his words. You will do them because you've embraced him, which means you love and you long to live in line with his will. Please, please hear clearly what I am not saying, okay? I am not saying that doing Christ's will, keeping his words, makes you a true believer, That's flipping what Jesus is saying right here on its head. Jesus isn't saying that. What he's saying is that if you are a true believer, the evidence is that you will do my words and my will. Doing Jesus' words, works, are not the root of your faith. They are the necessary fruit of it. Just ask Jesus' brother, James, James chapter 2 and verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith and does not have works? Can such faith save him? No, James says such faith is dead. It doesn't really have a root because if it really had a root in Jesus, it would necessarily be bearing the fruit of righteousness. Jesus says the exact same thing right here. He says it even more explicitly. Let me, let me show it to you here. He says it more explicitly when he tells this same story in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 6, and in verse 46, Jesus says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then he goes on to tell this story, to illustrate his point. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In other words, you can't call Jesus Lord and not do what he says. That's a contradiction in terms. Like your Lord, you're in charge, not doing what you say. It's a contradiction. This is not what true believers do because true believers see and believe that he is Lord. So they hear and heed his words. Of course, of course we do not do that perfectly. Of course we do not. But we do it truly. In other words, We truly, I long to do it perfectly. I want to because I love him and his will and his word and I long to live in line with it. You hear and you heed because you see and believe. And that's how, Shades. This is how you build your life on the rock-solid foundation of Christ. And no matter how foolish it looks to the world in this moment, when the wind of this life blows and the floods of this life rise, when all around your soul is giving way, he then, then in that moment, will prove to be all your hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock you will stand. And all will see that that is truly the wise and only wise foundation for If they don't see it now in this life, everyone will see it in the end. That's where the storm imagery of verse 25 is ultimately pointing us. This storm imagery right here, yes, it can refer to us experiencing storms in life, difficult times, times of tragedy. And yes, then, in those moments, Christ proves to be the solid rock on which we stand. 
All other ground will sink out from underneath our feet in those moments. But ultimately, storm imagery does point to that, but ultimately, it's bigger than that. Ultimately, it points towards the end. This storm imagery, it comes out of the prophetic tradition of the likes of Ezekiel and Isaiah, where they use storm imagery to refer to the eschaton, to the the end when God would come to bring an end, to thunderously bring an end to all evil, bring his kingdom in full. I don't know if you remember, but from our study in the book of Revelation, we actually saw storm imagery used over and over and over again to symbolize the second coming of Christ. When he would come thunderously, remove evil, set up his kingdom. It is ultimately on that day when Jesus will prove to be the only rock-solid foundation. Like No matter how foolish we look in this life for staking everything on Christ, on that day, he will prove to be the rock that he claimed to be, and all other ground will be revealed to be sinking sand. That's what we see in verse 26. Look at it. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Here we have the third thing that we need to see. Foolishness hears, but it doesn't hear. Foolishness hears, but it doesn't hear. Listen to Jesus again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Jesus says there is a way to physically hear his words that he has just spoken right here. The Sermon on the Mount, like you can physically hear them with your ears, but you're not truly hearing his words if you aren't heeding them. Every parent is familiar with this concept that Jesus is talking about right here, right? Because I guarantee that as a parent... You say something like this to your children all the time. Did you hear me? You're not asking if they physically heard your voice in their ears. You're asking if they took in what you said, if they received the word from a parent to a child so, as it would, so, so that it brings about oh, obedience. That's what Jesus is talking about right here in verse 26. When you hear his words, but don't, hear them so that they bring about obedience. Jesus says that is foolishness. He says it's like a builder. It's like a builder who builds his house on a foundation of sand. Notice right here the difference between this builder and the one that Jesus previously talked to us about in verse 24. The difference between the builders has nothing to do with the house. Like the physical, external structure, what the house looks like, they could look the exact same for all we know from the outside. Completely indistinguishable externally. The difference is the unseen foundation. Has that not been the central theme of the entire Sermon on the Mount? That external appearances can be deceiving. Like, is that not what we have seen over and over again with, with the Pharisees? 
The Pharisees, externally, they looked like they lived in line with the Word of God. But internally, foundationally, we saw that they were all about their own glory. They, they were building their lives on a foundation of sand. And it looked wise to everyone around them. They had great social standing. They had power and political influence. They had economic success. They had respect. All the while, Jesus says that his followers, followers of Christ, they could expect to be rejected persecuted their way of life would look so foolish externally they would be striving also to live a life in line with the word of god but there was a massive difference internally foundationally all of that external action would be flowing forth from internal affection a foundational desire for christ to be glorified you see do you see this externally? The life of believers and the life of the Pharisees, externally, they may not look that different. Both striving to live lives in line with the Word of God, but internally, foundationally, only one was building on rock the rock of the glory of Christ. All other ground, all other ground that you can possibly build your life upon. Wealth, success, political power, social standing, relationships, possessions, sex, influence, all other ground. Even trying to build your life on the word of God minus Jesus. All other ground is sinking sand. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 1 where he tells the Galatians, if anybody else preaches to you any other gospel, I don't care if an angel of heaven appears to you and delivers a gospel to you. If it is different than the gospel of the word of Christ, don't believe it or build your life on it. All other ground is sinking sand. Verse 27 proves it. So, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In other words, no matter how great it looked externally, greater still was the fall. All other ground, every other possible foundation upon which you could build your life, we see right here, is sinking sand. And it is sinking sand. All other foundations are sinking sand because all other foundations end. They don't last. They can't actually hold up your life because every single one of them can be knocked out, swept away by storms. Show, show me a foundation that the storms of life cannot blow away or beat down. Money? How about a storm of inflation? Gone. Success? Reputation? All these things can be wiped out in an instant. Show, show me a foundation that our culture has to offer for your life and identity that isn't constantly on shifting sand. Like all of it ultimately shifts and sinks, if not now, then in the end. Remember, once again, 
that's where this storm imagery right here is ultimately pointing us to the final day when Christ comes to establish his kingdom forever. The prophet Daniel describes it with storm-like language as this massive rock crushing and destroying all other kingdoms of the world, all other foundations in life crumbling, shifting, swept away like sand. But Christ, the solid rock, when all other foundations, when all else around your soul gives way, he then, on that day, will prove to be your hope and stay. Building your life on him will prove to be truly wise. Shades, as we've gone throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have heard the words of Jesus. Will we wisely heed them? Will we wisely heed them? Because through the sermon, we've seen Jesus claim to be king. Will we believe him? Or, or will we foolishly hear his words but not hear them? Hear them but not hear them. Because we see who he claims to be, but we don't see. This is the fourth and final thing that we need to see. Number four, foolishness hears, but it doesn't hear because it sees, but it doesn't see. Foolishness hears, but it doesn't hear because it sees, but it doesn't see. Look at verses 28 to 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished, amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them is one who had authority and not as their scribes. So these crowds who've been listening in with Jesus' disciples this whole time, they're astonished. They're amazed. Why? Because Jesus teaches differently than what they usually hear from their scribes. When the scribes would teach from the Word of God, they, uh, they typically would find their authority or ground their authority by appealing to older interpretations. I'm going to beef up what I'm saying because Rabbi so-and-so back such-and-such when said it and agreed with me. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that practice. Brad and I still do that. All preachers you hear do that. We'll talk about people throughout church history, Christians who've gone before. We'll quote them to say, see, we're not original. We're not the only ones saying this. This is primarily what the scribes did when they offered up an interpretation. But even if they offered up their own interpretation, the best they could do is say, thus says the Lord. But throughout the sermon, Jesus has been saying, when he does an interpretation, he's been saying, thus says me. You remember all the way back to chapter 5 as he interpreted the law for us? What did he say over and over again? He said, but I say to you, thus says me. Do you remember just last week, just last week when we, we saw him say that he is the one who determines who enters into the kingdom? Jesus was saying, thus says me. Jesus speaks with an entirely different kind of authority than the scribes and the Pharisees because he speaks directly with divine authority, the very authority of God in the flesh. Do the crowds see it? I mean, they see that something's different, but do they truly see? 
Like they may be amazed and astonished, but will that amazement turn into adoration? Worship. Will they see that that Jesus' authority is amazing because it is the authority of God, the King? They see, but they don't see. I think we know that because throughout the rest of Matthew's Gospel, the crowds, yes, they will put Jesus in a different category than the scribes and the Pharisees, but typically it's the category of prophet. Because they see, but they don't see. And the question that Jesus is confronting us with is, do we truly see him for who he is? That, that's the question he lovingly confronts us with right here in the conclusion of the sermon. We hear his words, but do we hear them? We We see his claims, but do we see him for who he is? And here's the deal, Shades. Every last one of us will answer that question. You can't help but do so because every last one of us will build our lives on a wise or foolish foundation. And Jesus is saying, which will it be? Shades, the Sermon on the Mount has shown us there are two types of foundations, but there is only one solid rock. There's only one king, and he is Jesus Christ. And Shades, right here, as he concludes, he is lovingly inviting you to build your life on the rock solid foundation of him. Shades, I pray that we will know, believe, embrace that this is wisdom.